Good evening, church. So grateful to see you this evening and just thankful that we can, we can worship together um, in spirit and in truth and with freedom as well. Uh, we just want to ask for a, a bit of quiet time. Let us put our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to focus our hearts on the Lord before we worship him. Let us spend some time together with God. Let us give praise to our God, our Almighty Father, for no one compares to him, and for he is great above all things. Let us rise, let us stand together, let's, let's sing our praises to the God who loves us so much. Thank you. 
singing to the holy God one and only there is no one else but him no one compares to the mightiness of our God who else commands all the host of heaven who else can make every king bow down who else can whisper and darkness tremble
103 verses 8 to 14 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Let's remember the goodness of our Father, the love that He has shared for us, and the gift of grace that we do not deserve. Let's sing together, good, good Father.
Father, you are such a good Father to us. You are perfect and you are full of grace. You know our frame. You know how we were formed. You remember that we are only but dust. You know this because you are our Creator. You have infinite knowledge of us and our weaknesses. Father, thank you for loving us. We are humbled that you accepted us for who we are. Yet we are who are unworthy and always seems to, to excel only at our pride. And you're so patient, compassionate and gracious. Impress upon us, O oh Lord, the depths of your compassion. Make us know your fatherly care for us so that we can respond to you with childlike faith and humility. May our souls bless the Lord and may we never forget your benefits. Amen. Before we take a seat, please say hello to the person next to you. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be with you. My name is Chin. I am one of the pastors here at Subi Church. And as always, we always love to welcome you to join us in our service. And we hope and pray that you are blessed every time that you come. Now, one of the things that we've been doing as a church family, hopefully you know, is to memorize scripture together. So we have scripture at Subi. And this month, for the month of May, we are memorizing the book of Philippians. So hopefully we all remember that and let's do and say that together. Okay, are we ready? Yes, okay, I hear two people. Okay, all right, so let's say our scripture has to be together. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's a great passage. As always, it's always a great passage and great um, verse to memorize because it's talking about the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ, that He humbled Himself for us and He died on the cross for us. Always a great gospel message to remember. So keep memorizing Scripture together. Keep doing it as a family, as a household, with friends because it's always good uh, to remember Scripture. Now, this is a time of the service as well where we invite all our primary school age children to go to their Subi Kids classes upstairs. So uh, please head along. We do have kids classes for them to teach them more about Jesus in an age-appropriate uh, manner. Now, one of the things that we want to encourage you to do as a church is that we want you to fill out our Connect cards. This is a way that we know that you're here, especially attending Subi Church and we would like everybody to fill that out, even though you know, you've been here for 20 years and there's nothing that you need prayer for. That's okay. Just fill that out because we want to know you're here. We want to know that you're here so that we can support you. We can uh, make sure that you're okay if you've missed church a few weeks. We know that you missed church a few weeks. We just want to contact you and see how you're going. So please take the time to fill that out so you can do that physically. So there is a physical connect card on your seat or just scan a QR code in front of you. Uh, and fill that out. And more importantly as well, if you have a prayer point, you can write that down. And we do take the time to read through each one of them, and we pray through each one of them. So, uh, yeah, take the time to fill out your Connect card. If you fill out a physical one, you can put it in the black bucket at the back of the auditorium. Now, one of the things that we also encourage you to do, is particularly if you are a member of the church, is to give up your offering. Because this is something that makes gospel ministry possible in and through the church, um, and one of the things that we recognize as we memorize scripture, 
about God's goodness to us in Jesus. He has blessed us. He has given us His life. And part of our response to that gospel message is through our offering. So um, if you haven't already set up an online giving, a regular payment through your bank, you can do that with this um, sheet in the cubbyhole. You can pick up and they have instructions on the sheet that you can do that. Or if you are someone who prefers to give physically, you can. Just pick up an envelope that says offering, put in your offering in the envelope and put it in the offering box that's right next to it. So let me tell you a little bit about what's coming up in the life of the church. Very important day tomorrow because we have our church picnic. It is promising to be a fantastic sunny day. So let me invite you to come. It starts at 10.15. Uh, it is in the Subi Primary, so just across the road. So just across the road, go into the school, turn right a little bit, and you'll see all the people who are there. It starts 10.15, BYO, um, uh, picnic route and chairs if you want, come along. We will have some food trucks. There will be um, bouncy castle, there's a petting zoo, uh, and things like that. So it is going to be really, really fun as we come and get to know each other. Now, I know what normally happens in events like this. Right? What normally happens is that we tend to stick to our own friends, that we're already hanging out in a picnic like this. Let me challenge you, tomorrow as you come, go and meet one or two new people that you haven't met before. Just go up to them and say, hi, I am so-and-so, nice to meet you, what is your name? All right? Let me challenge you to do that tomorrow. Don't stick to your own friendship group, because tomorrow is a rare opportunity where we can have all three services come together and have a fellowship picnic. So 10.15 tomorrow, please come if you can. Another thing that's happening on Sunday as well is the Revelation course that I will be running uh, over eight weeks called uh, Revelation, the Unveiling of Christ. It is starting tomorrow at 1 to 3, but for tomorrow, because of the picnic, we're starting at 1.30. This is an eight-week course, and we are going through the book of Revelation. I'll be teaching that uh, over the course of the next eight Sundays. It will be $10 just for printing and for some snacks. Uh, so come along if you haven't signed up. Just turn up as well. That will, be, that will be fine, and I'll look forward to seeing you there. And then finally, we do have our Women's Ministry Night that's coming up on the 8th of June. That's on a Wednesday, 7.30 to 9 here at Subi Church. So all the women, you are invited to come. Always encouraging as women come together to hear from God and to encourage one another. Bring your friends along. It will be a fantastic time. Catherine Smith, so she's one of the long-time members of Subi Church, and she's also a BSF teaching leader, and she'll be sharing God's Word with the women. And we are also hearing from Becca, who is one of our missionaries um, that we support, and she's currently ministering in the Middle East, so she's going to be sharing with the women as well. So if you're plan planning to come, RSVP on your Connect card so that we know how many uh, women that we can expect. That's all the announcements I have today. Let me invite Edwin up. Now, Edwin is a long-time member of the church, and one of the ministries that he's involved in is the Guineans International. So we want to bring a spotlight to that on that particular ministry this evening. Now, I don't know about you. The thing that I know about Guineans International is that they put a lot of Bibles in hotels. But that's all I know about them. So, Edwin, tell, me a tell us a little bit more about what the Guineans do. Afternoon, church. Um, so the Gideons started in a hotel room um, probably about 120 years ago. Uh, three businessmen were traveling, and they came together from different directions to the same hotel. Uh, the hotel was fully booked, so uh, they ended up sharing a room together. 
Now, it turns out they were all Christians, and they fellowshiped together that night, and that night the Gideons actually started. Now, in a nutshell, the Gideons organization is about winning others for Jesus by placing Bibles in the highways and byways of life. So hotels, schools, prisons, um, medical centers, uh, the army. Um, and then the Gideons trust in the words of Isaiah 55, verse 11, which says that, where God says that my word will go out and it won't return to me void, but it will achieve exactly what I set it out to achieve. And so in the, um, since the Gideons have started, they've placed over 2 billion Bibles worldwide, uh, over 200 countries, over 100 languages. They continue to do so in about, um, at about 80 million Bibles a year. And the result is that people pick up Bibles in the highways and byways of life and they get to know Jesus. That's fantastic to hear. And then we have God's Word going out into the world, like you said, the highways and byways of life, and people picking up God's Word and reading God's Word. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, and how did you get involved in the Gideons in the first place? So I've been a Gideon now for probably about 15 years. Um, so I've been to place Bibles in schools. I've been to a couple of prisons, hotels. I've been to a UWA Open Day. Um, but I'd like to maybe share one, um, one event that really stood out for me. Um, and that is when I went on a short-term mission trip with the Gideons. So the Gideons also do what they call uh, Bible blitzes, um, where they go to countries, often poor countries, and they go and cover a whole area. So they'll go and visit all the schools, go to the prison, go to all the hotels. Um, so a few years ago, I found myself um, leaving Cape Town in a 4x4 with a, a friend of mine who was in the Gideons. And we headed, uh, traveled about 1,500 kilometers to a place called the Transkei, which is in the eastern part of South Africa. It's a, a very poor part of the country. It's uh, very rural. Um, and if I can describe it, um, there's lots of rolling hills covered in grass, uh, not many proper buildings, just little shacks. It's just subsistence farming. Um, and no proper roads. So it's just basically mud and sand and gravel. Um, and our mission was to go and find 20 schools there, um, some of them very remote, and to hand out Bibles to the children. Now, we got there. We thought we were very smart. We had all our um, GPS coordinates programmed in. Um, but when we got there, it didn't work. Um, the schools just weren't in those locations. So we ended up having to ask people next to the side of the road, um, and they gave us pretty vague um, instructions. Um, there weren't any road signs, obviously. Um, farm animals everywhere, pigs and goats and chickens. Um, but somehow, miraculously, we managed to find all 20 of our schools. Um, and if I think back now, and if I just think back to the, the absolute joy in those children's faces, when we finally got to those schools, uh, we could share Jesus with them, and we could give them a little pocket Bible, a bit like this one. Um, that is something that I'll certainly never forget. Um, and in, the, in my time in the Gideon's ministry, I've come across so many wonderful min um, testimonies of people that have found a Bible in a hotel room, uh, in a prison, even on a plane. Um, and it's changed their lives forever. Wow, that's great to hear, Evan. Now, one of the things sometimes we do think, you know, does it actually make a difference? But like what Evan said, it does make a difference. And we do have a video of a testimony to um, show us. So let's uh, pay attention to the screen. I've heard tonight how many times you have placed Bibles in prisons. And I want to say that it does make a difference. Three and a half years ago, sorry... I was imprisoned for 13 weeks. I'd been through extreme domestic violence and had turned to drugs. I was, hosp was hospitalised many times and I was caught driving in escaping from my perpetrator and I was on drugs. I found myself in Adelaide prison for three months. The first night in prison I was bashed and had my arm broken. 
I then got placed in high security. It was a four by four cell consisting of a toilet and nothing else. I was all alone and I was broken. My children were with relatives and I had nothing except a Gideon's Bible. I opened up the Bible and I read Psalm 34 and it told me that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It was then that I got on my knees and I surrendered and I prayed to the Lord and I said, please help me. After that night, my life has never been the same. He showed me again and again by moving me from high security to low security, then out of prison earlier than I was supposed to. I now, three and a half years later, am completely drug free and safe. I have a beautiful job in a nursing home where I get to speak with the residents at the end of their life and ask them if they know Jesus. I bring the Bible to them and I tell them what Jesus did for me. I have all my children living with me. I have a beautiful home. And next year in January, I'm going back into the women's prison with a prison fellowship to teach the other inmates about Jesus and about his healing power. Please don't ever underestimate what you are doing. Jesus said in Mark 16, go on to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Well, I'm here tonight to say well done and thank you all. Thank you so much for what you do, for being Jesus' hands and feet in this dark world. Thank you for your faithfulness and your effort. May God bless you all. What a great testimony about God's faithfulness, isn't it? So, Erin, tell us a little bit about how we can help, or if, let's say, if you want to get involved, how do we do that? So, we uh, really appreciate your help in three ways. Um, the first is just your prayers, um, and especially for open doors in schools. It's really becoming increasingly difficult to get into schools, especially into government schools here in WA, and also to some extent into hotels. Uh, secondly, um, we really appreciate donations. Um, now, the good thing about donating to the Gideons is that every cent that you donate goes to buy Bibles. And that is because um, all the marketing, all the travel and the administration costs are covered by the Gideons in the capacity as volunteers. And then lastly, um, we're always on the lookout for new members. So if it's something that you think you might be interested in, um, my colleague uh, David Chua is also here. He heads up the Perth City Gideons. Um, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. There's lots of different ways you can get involved. Um, and we'd love to have a chat to you um, about how you can get involved. That's fantastic. And I'm sure he has plenty of other stories and testimonies to tell. Um, and they do have a, a table out there with more information. So if you'd like to find out more after the service, feel free to head to the table. But let me pray for the Gideons and also pray for Edwin right now. Let's join, uh, just uh, pray and bow our heads. Father, we come before you. We praise you that uh, the Gideons are working hard to in some sense, distribute your word out there in the highways and byways of life, as they mentioned. We thank you for Edwin and all the work that he does, and also we pray for David and, um, and his wife. And We pray, Father, that people will come across your word in the hotels or prisons or schools, and as they open the word, they will hear your voice speaking to them. And so, Father, we ask and pray that by your Spirit you do that, and we ask that by your Spirit you will bring more and more people into your kingdom through the ministry of the Gideons. And we praise you for them. And Father, we ask that you continue to bless their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. This week's Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel 17 verses 1 to 32. 
Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Iphes Damim between Socho and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day... I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 12. <clears throat> now David was the son of, Ephrath- of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse has directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The Philistine threat continues to grow. Now they have a new champion, Goliath. Will one of you fight me? Israelites, you win, and the Philistines will be your slaves. I win, and you will be our slaves. Someone must fight him. Not you, Jonathan. The warrior who defeats him will be a rich man. Not one man in Israel. Not one of God's people. I'll do it. You're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Israel! 
champion! <laughs> Don't waste my time, little boy. You're too young to die. I will fight you! to keep going so you could see his head chopped off. Be, be honest. I was online and I, w I, f I saw some David and Goliath kids colouring in sheets, right? And here's one. Look how graphic that is. You can actually colour in the blood. Now, we don't have... Ours at Kids Church are not quite so graphic. Ours are a little bit tamer. Next one. Yeah, this is the ones we use, okay? You might now... The story of David and Goliath is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, how many kids have heard this story and then imagined themselves being David, swinging that sling around and bringing their Goliath down? Have you ever imagined that? I still do it at my age, right? I love it. And it's a, a favorite story, especially among kids who are being bullied as they imagine bringing their own Goliath down, dreaming of bringing their own Goliath down. Now, the story of David and Goliath has become part of popular culture, right? Uh, it's the classic underdog tale. Little guy with no chance beats big guy and wins. Hollywood makes millions of dollars out of underdog stories, right? Like uh, Rocky, who brings down his Goliath. Right, he brings down his Goliath. And people who don't even know the Bible, they know about the David and Goliath stories, all right? And the take-home message from these movies is you can beat your giants too. In Christian circles, teaching on this story is often not much different. Uh, here are a couple of examples. Defeating your Goliath, slaying the giants in your life starts with you. Low self-esteem, depression, illness, divorce, failure, disappointment. Uh, another one, five stones, conquering your giants. Pick up the five stones of commitment, courage, communication, capability, confidence, and you will conquer your giants. Their take-home message is what? Be like David and you will defeat your giants too. Now, is that what the story of David and Goliath is all about? Well, whenever we read the Bible, we need to remember a crucial interpretive principle which Jesus gave us so we can read the Bible properly. He said this, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
You see, all Scripture testifies to Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible is not a collection of stories. It's one story about God's plan to rescue his people through Jesus Christ. And so we haven't rightly read any passage of Scripture unless we read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Right? So when we do that with the story of David, we'll see that the take-home message is not be like David and you will defeat your giants too. Because the Bible says you can't defeat your giants. You can't do it. So what is the take-home message? Well, let's have a look together. Uh, you may have expected Pastor Ben to be up here tonight. He's got COVID, just so you know. Uh, uh, he's not too unwell, I don't believe, but he's got COVID. Uh, it, was a, it was a gift from his wife. And, uh, but he's going to be back on Monday. So we did do the first talk in the, uh, on Elisha. Uh, and uh, he likes to do those ones himself. And so he's asked me to step in. And so we, I thought we'd have a look at this talk tonight. And I hope and, and I believe that it's going to be a great blessing for us. Uh, before we uh, continue, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two things tonight. I'm going to pray, continue to pray for uh, the war in the Ukraine. And I'm going to pray for our new government. So will you join me as we pray for these important issues? Father in heaven, we pray for the war in Ukraine. We know that this war is, being, is prolonged. It is going on longer than anyone wants. And we read every day of more lives being lost on both sides. And Father, we ask you now that you would bring an end to this war, that you would minimize the loss of life the loss of, and, and the destruction of the Ukraine. We pray you'd give the leaders wisdom as they navigate in the next few uh, days and weeks. We pray, Lord, for the relief efforts for the Ukrainian refugees. And we ask, Lord, that they would be welcomed in and that they would experience the love of Christ. And Father, we pray for our new government. We pray for our new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and we pray, Lord, that he would lead with integrity, with honesty, with wisdom. We pray for our new members of parliament who are Christians. We ask, Lord, that you might uh, use them to speak your, uh, to live a Christian life and to speak when given the opportunity about you and about your good news. Father, we thank you for the democracy that we live in, and we pray, Lord, that that might be maintained. And Father, we just pray that you'd be with us tonight as we sit under your word and we pray, Lord God, that you might give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this story is very well known. Uh, most people know this story uh, really well. However, I think, uh, hopefully, I'm not, I'm not going to change the story, but I think we might see a couple of new insights tonight. So um, that's my prayer. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. You can say Philistines or Philistines, it doesn't matter. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the Philistines were the, were the bitter enemies of ancient Israel. The bitter enemies. They lived in the coastal plains of 
Canaan. I'll show you the slide. And they raise an army, gather an army, and they move east up into the mountains to fight Israel. King Saul comes down from the east, down the mountains, to confront, uh, confront Israel at the valley. Now, the Israelites dig in along the northern ridge, and the Philistines dig in along the southern ridge, and the two armies sit there for weeks and stare at each other because they are deadlocked, right? It's a Mexican standoff because neither can attack the other. Because if you're going to attack the other, you've got to come down one mountain into the valley, up the other side of the other mountain, and you leave yourself completely exposed, right? So they can't, no one can move. To break the deadlock, the Philistines send their mighty champion, Goliath, to challenge Israel's mighty champion to have it out, just the two of them. Now, this was a tradition. Can we go back? That's not quite. Yeah. Just back to the other side of the picture. Thank you. This was a tradition in ancient warfare as a way of settling disputes without the bloodshed of a major battle, right? So th that's why he comes out. They want to, not everyone has to die. Let's just have it out, the two of us. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, a cubit is an ancient measure from your elbow to the end of your middle finger, which actually, you think about it, is actually a really convenient way of measuring things. And a span is a span of your hand. So, if you put that together, six cubits and a span is nine feet, nine inches, almost three meters tall. So if he played basketball, his head would be just about touching the ring. Now, was he really that tall? Uh, the tallest man in modern times was a guy called Robert Wadlow, who stood an impressive 8 feet 11 inches. Right? He's the guy on the right. Now, he had gigantism. He had gigantism from a tumour. And in fact, most modern giants, like Andre the Giant, next slide, they have gigantism from a tumour. And so people speculate, perhaps that's what Goliath had too. Either way, Goliath was not a big friendly giant. He was a big unfriendly giant. Have a look in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, none of the Israelite soldiers dared to fight Goliath. It would be a death wish to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a 10-foot hulk like Goliath, right? Would you want to go out and fight him? Even Israel's biggest and best, who was King Saul, he didn't budge when Goliath made the challenge, pretended not to hear. What? Uh, Goliath was chosen to be king. Do you remember why? Because, sorry, Saul. Saul was chosen to be king. Why? Because he was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites, which is not a good reason to choose a king. And if you keep reading, you'll, you, you'll see that's not a good reason to choose a king. But Saul is paralyzed with fear because even though he's head and shoulders above the other Israelites, Goliath, is head and shoulders above him. 
Then out of the silence and out of the fear, a young boy named David offers to fight Goliath. He's small in stature, not trained as a soldier, and he was only at the battlefield. Why? Because he was bringing food for his older brothers. And we continue the story. Verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you have come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, likely including the chief Philistine god, Dagon. And here's a picture of this god. And this has significance later in the story, right? So he defies David by his god, Dagon. And by invoking the Philistine gods, Goliath signals the true dimension of this battle. More than just Philistines versus Israelites, this is the God of the Philistines, the false God, versus the true God of Israel. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. In ancient warfare, there were three kinds of soldiers. There was the cavalry, those that rode on horses or in chariots. There were the infantry, those who were foot soldiers with a shield and a sword. And then there was the artillery, those who were the archers or those with a sling. A sling uh, was made up of a pouch with two cords attached and you would, sling, you would swing that sling in an arc and then when you released one of the, uh, one of the cords, the projectile would be slung forward. Now, you could get up to speeds of 160 kilometers an hour or 45 meters a second. It had the equivalent stopping power of some handguns. The biggest sling stones could literally take off the top of your head. Uh, history records that slingers could hit a target up to 400 meters away. So there, that's the other side, where we're having the picnic tomorrow, right? The other side of the school. They could hit birds in flight. And the scriptures tell us in Judges chapter 20, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And that's not a rabbit, that's a hare. Now, if you look through the history of ancient warfare, you will find that time and time again, slingers were the decisive factor against infantry, foot soldiers. Goliath is what? He is infantry. And his expectation when he challenges the Israelites is that he is going to fight 
another infantryman. That's why he says, come, come to me and fight. Also, that's what King Saul thought. That's why he gave uh, uh, David his shield. He thought that an infantryman was going to fight Goliath. But David's not going to fight Goliath hand to hand. Why would he? Right? Why would he? He's a shepherd and a sling was the weapon of choice for a shepherd. Fending off animals. And as we, as we heard read, David spent his entire career using a sling to defend his sheep from wolves and lions. So when David lines up against Goliath, he has every intention and every expectation that he is going to hit Goliath on the forehead at his most vulnerable point. The Israelites thought that Goliath was too big to beat. David thought that Goliath was too big to miss. Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. Now, in the movies, as we saw before, Goliath is usually depicted as swinging his sword around, kind of giving David all the time he needs to load his stone, sling it, aim, fire, and hit him, right? As if Goliath didn't know how devastating a sling was. But Goliath knew exactly how devastating slingers were. They were part of the army, right? They, were, they brought down infantry, inf, the infantry. So he knew how devastating slingers were. So what was it that didn't get him to arm up? Well, in his arrogance, when he sees David, he doesn't imagine that a boy his size, not old enough to be in the army, could be a threat, even with a sling. And so David pounces on Goliath's underestimation of him, doesn't he? Verse 48, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and timber. He fell face down on the ground. David ran over and stood, up and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now remember, if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines defeat the army of Israel at that time and they capture what? The Ark of the Covenant. And where do they put it? They put it in the temple of the Philistine god Dagon. What happens the next day when they go in? Yeah, the statue is on its face, bowing as if it's bowing down before the ark. They pick it back up. The next day, it's down again, bowing before God's ark with its head broken and its arms broken. Goliath swears by his god Dagon, the false god Dagon, and has the same ending as the false god Dagon. So what is this story of David and Goliath about for you and for me? Very familiar story. Well, most Christian talks and books on this passage encourage us to identify with David. Be like David. Have faith in God. Have faith that God will be with you and you will defeat your giants in life, whatever they are. Depression, debt, unemployment, but when you read the story of David in its context, we see that there's something unique about David which cannot apply to you and me. David is the one who, immediately prior to the, to the Goliath episode, is anointed as God's future 
king. Have a look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David is anointed as a future king of Israel. And the spirit of God, he receives to do the mighty deeds of salvation for his people. This spirit of God is the source of his God-centeredness. It's the source of his courage. It's the source of his skill to be able to hit Goliath between the eyes first shot. So when it comes to David's slaying of Goliath, David does it as the unique anointed one of God. In this sense, we can't identify with David. He is the unique anointed one. We are not the unique anointed one. In fact, who can we identify with in the story? We're the helpless soldiers on the sideline, terrified of fighting the giant. They're, that's us on the sideline. Our knees are knocking, right? We can't fight Goliath. We need a savior to defeat the giant for us. So David, God's anointed one, kills the giant, the enemy of God's people, while the ordinary people like you and I stand by until we can share in the fruits of David's victory. So the message is not be like David and you will defeat your giants too. David doesn't say to the other soldiers, hey, now I've defeated Goliath, you copy me and you go defeat your giants. No, David is not an example for them. He is their deliverer. He is their champion. They can't beat the giant, but their champion has done it for them. Now, remember the interpretive principle for reading the Bible which Jesus gave us. All Scripture points to him. So, let's look through the lens of the Jesus lens. David is God's anointed one, Israel's champion. He points to Jesus, the anointed one, our champion. David receives the Spirit of God to do mighty deeds for the saving of Israel. Jesus is conceived by the Spirit of God to do mighty deeds for the salvation of the world. The Israelites were on the sidelines, helpless to defeat the giant Goliath. We are helpless to defeat the giants of Satan, sin, and death. That's what the Bible says our giants are, right? Satan, sin, and death, and we can't beat them. David wins the victory at the point where he seems to be about to suffer total defeat. Jesus' death on the cross appears to be a failure, appears to be defeat. But it's here that he wins the victory over Satan's sin and death. David wins through his weakness, right? Because he's small, because he's laughable, Goliath goes in unguarded. Jesus wins through weakness through being beaten, through being laughed at, through being executed. David was his people's champion. David won, and so his people won, even though they didn't even lift a finger. It wasn't, had nothing to do with their ability, their performance. It had everything to do with David's performance. 
Jesus is our champion. He won, and so we win. His victory is imputed to us, even though we didn't lift a finger. It's not about our performance, our ability. It's about Jesus' performance. Hebrews 11, you remember, is the great list of the heroes of the faith. And if you, if you know the passage, it says, Remember Noah, the great man of faith. Remember Abraham, the great man of faith. Remember Moses, the great man of faith. Remember David, the great man of faith. But fix your eyes on Jesus, the champion of our faith. It's saying, remember David, but fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the true champion to whom David pointed. And it goes on in Hebrews chapter 12, just verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the word there is champion, the champion and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus defeated the giants of Satan, sin and death on that tortuous cross. Why? Because he saw the joy that awaited him for all eternity. If Jesus is your champion, then the, the, the giants of Satan, sin and death have been defeated. Whatever happens in your life, whatever valley you have to go through, however hard life is, no matter how dark it is for you, your future is, going, is guaranteed. It's going to be okay because Jesus is your champion and joy is on its way. See, what are your greatest fears in life? What are your greatest fears in life? We don't want to lose love. We don't want to lose our life. We don't, we don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. We don't want to lose our health. You don't want to lose your, your wealth, your security, right? But the only debt that can really hurt you has already been paid by your champion, Jesus. The debt of sin, it's already been paid. The only disease that actually can hurt you and destroy you has already been healed by your champion, Jesus. Nothing can shake your eternal security with Jesus as your champion. And that means whatever happens, joy is on its way. Joy is on its way. And so this gives us the resources to be able to fight the lesser giants in life. Fear, suffering, disappointment, failure, criticism, hardship. Right? And they're very real in each of our lives. We can fight the lesser giants because Jesus has defeated the greater giants. Let me give you a couple of examples. We can fight the lesser giant of fear with the deep security that knows that Jesus is our champion and no matter what happens, he goes before us, right? We can fight the lesser giant of disappointment. We all face disappointments in life. I've had a big disappointment recently. I uh, applied to be senior pastor at church here and I didn't get to the final round. I was really disappointed. I was gutted. But how, why did I get over it? And I did get over it. Why did I get over it? Because I have the deep assurance that I am in Christ. And if you're in Christ, because God supremely loves and blesses his son Jesus, if you're in Christ, that means he supremely loves and blesses you. 
because you're in his son. And I have everything that is of value in Christ. So when you know that deep in your bones, you can stand before the failure giant, the disappointment giant, the fear giant, the hardship giant, any lesser giant that comes your way, because the real giants that you can't fight have been dealt with by the Lord Jesus, by your champion, and joy is on its way. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, can I just let you know that you can't beat your giants. Satan, sin and death, you can't beat them on your own. You need Christ. You might think you can live without Christ, but you certainly can't die without him. Jesus is our champion. He's defeated the giants of Satan, sin and death, which means we can face our lesser giants with full assurance that he goes ahead of us and joy is on its way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of David and Goliath, the most remarkable story. We thank you that you have defeated our giants of Satan, sin and death, the giants that we could not defeat. And I pray for each person here tonight, that they would know you as their champion, the one who has gone ahead of them. Help us to see that because you've defeated our giants, nothing can shake our eternal security with you. And whatever happens to us in life, joy is on its way. And help us to know that deep in our bones. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you, with all that I have, to put your faith in Christ. You can't beat Satan, sin and death on your own. And so if you push Christ away, there will come a time when you will die and you will have to face your sins, face God with your sins and you can't stand before him in judgment. But you can throw your sins on the Lord Jesus and he will take them as your champion. Put your trust in him today. We're going to go straight into a time of communion. And I just wanted to share one verse at the end of this story. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. This was some time after the event. Seems like a strange thing to do, to take the head all the way to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's a holy city, so a dead body would not have been allowed in Jerusalem. So he would have had to have left it outside Jerusalem. Outside where sometime later Jesus was crucified. Golgotha is where Jesus was killed. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Goliath of Gath, Golgath, Golgotha. Many believe that Golgotha, the place of the skull, is where Goliath's head was buried. The victory over, of David over Goliath, over that giant, buried at the very place where Jesus defeated the giants of Satan, sin and death. 
Let us remember Jesus' death on our behalf. He is our champion. The Lord's Supper is for those of you who call on Christ as your saviour, your champion. If you're here tonight, you're not yet a Christian, please just uh, stay in your seat. No one will think anything less of you. If you'd like to know more, please come and see me afterwards. Otherwise, I'll ask the first few rows to stand. Come and take of the cup and take of the bread. Take hold and uh, go back to your seat and we'll take them together in a few moments. Please use these moments to just reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done for you. his body the Lord Jesus defeated the giants of Satan sin and death for you and for me we can't defeat those giants but Jesus has
to you and every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night oh God the battle belongs to you and if you are for me who can be against me There's nothing impossible for you. And all I see are the ashes. You see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, you see the empty shadows you win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our god almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our god song is almost that song was written for that sermon it was great to be able to sing that uh, Jesus has defeated our big giants but we do have lesser giants in life that we still need to fight and to tackle each day so if you have any concerns that you'd like some help with that we'll, we can pray with you up the front and uh, and commit those lesser giants to the Lord uh, otherwise have a wonderful week let me pray father in heaven we thank you for the Lord Jesus our champion and we pray, Lord, that our, uh, we will remember that our Lord Jesus, our champion, goes ahead of us this week. And I pray, Lord, that uh, that hope, that, that strength, that truth uh, might shape all that we do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you.